welcome to this podcast from Adelaide Place Baptist Church. We are a community of disciples, apprentices of Jesus, who live and work in the city of Glasgow, and it's our vision to join God in the renewal of all things. Our discipleship to Jesus is for all of our lives, so as well as listening to this podcast, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning or get involved in one of our missional communities, which are across the city throughout the week. Our prayer is that you encounter Jesus in some way through this podcast. More information can be found at apbc.net. Well, good morning. May I add my welcome to you this morning? My name's Stephen. Uh, I get the privilege of serving as lead pastor of this community. It's always a privilege to welcome people if you're coming back from holidays or if you're coming to the city and back to university or or for the first time changing jobs. Um, It's a a privilege to to do that and welcome you. And I guess my my prayer would be at this time of year is always, I guess, the sense that you get the sense of feeling at home um, in the city or home come post your holidays or however that bottoms out for you. Um, I remember I, my first time uh, coming to Adelaide Place, I come from a job interview, and it was a stunning, stunning day. The sun was shining, much unlike today, or the rest of the next six months ahead of us, by the way. But I, I just rocked up outside, and I got inside the car, and I just immediately, with the area, felt just a sense of peace and at home here, and I thought, uh, I'm going to get this job. I definitely am going to get this job, and I did. Um, but, but I love that sense of just feeling at home uh, with the city. So that would be uh, my prayer for you um, in this season. That, um, you just feel uh, in due course uh, a sense of, of homecoming, which in some ways is kind of the theme of our sermon series. You join us in week four, I think, of Jeremiah. Um, it's, the, the series is called Jeremiah, a Prophet for Changing Times. And we have been navigating some interesting terrain of facing into some doom and gloom, which in Jeremiah there is a lot of. He is the weeping prophet, as uh, some have referred to him, and we are pivoting this week slightly towards the hope, but not quite there yet. There's the book of hope in Jeremiah where we will be uh, leaning into that in the weeks that lie ahead, so some of you will just feel a sense of maybe relief uh, if, you, if you need that. Um, but this morning we are thinking about, the, the title of this message is Prophetic Imagination, and it's a look at the, the nature of prophetic ministry through the lens of Jeremiah itself, hence some of the readings uh, from the New Testament as well. Because Jer- so Jeremiah was a prophet. A prophet was somebody who sp- speaks forth God's word. They brought a message from God. And Jeremiah was a prophet that did that. He is a prophet for, for changing times. He was a prophet that was able to look um, despair and difficulty right in the face and able to speak words of hope beyond it. He was a prophet with words which were pruning words that were to tear down. That was part of what he was told to do by God. He had, he had difficult words to say that would feel like pruning. But he also had energetic words that would, would bring hope. And so on this topic of the prophetic imagination, the nature of prophetic ministry, in many ways, naturally, many questions uh, may arise. The questions could be aplenty in your mind. And there, there might be as much unlearning to be done as much learning. And for some of you, if you're maybe new to church, you might be like before the end of this, you might be, what on earth are we talking about? 
Um, so there's so many questions on this theme. Would we recognize a prophetic voice today? Do we know what we are listening for? Do we need it? Is it something that is required? Is it just that weird thing that some people seem to be fixated on? Is it a charismatic thing, maybe for a particular strand of Christianity? Do we make space for it, whatever it may be in our understanding? And didn't they get stoned for it in the Old Testament when, when they got it wrong, as in with stones, you know? They hit with stones, not something else. And, or, or, or is there more to this whole thing of prophecy than when we're led to believe than just something maybe for the, a few people to be interested in? So I want us to think about it this morning through the lens of the life and times of Jeremiah in order to explore I guess an important communal question around what prophetic imagination could or should look like uh, among us uh, today. So to set the scene afresh in our mind's eye, the scene that we heard from chapter six, which was the longest uh, reading you heard, was a courtroom trial that was on the gates of the temple that came on as the community's response to Jeremiah's now famous temple sermon that we read from last week from uh, chapter 7. And this is the response of the officials. And it's, it's, it's dramatized as a sort of courtroom scene where the royal authorities and the priests and the prophets and the leadership from the, the, the throne are against Jeremiah in his famous sermon. So to begin with, it feels safer almost um, self-evident to say that one of the key attributes, if not the key attribute of the prophet, um, is that of listening. They listen. And it's perhaps, I think, e easiest to see this in, di in its diametrical opposite in the classic indictment that we heard read in the failure of the priests and the leaders to listen. The reading from chapter 2, verse 4, recaps it starts with, hear the word of the Lord, and then they get indicted for following worthless idols, and then here's the lines that they do not ask, where is the Lord who brought us out of Egypt? Jeremiah lists the faithfulness and the goodness of God. He led us through the barren wilderness, he through a, a land of deserts and ravines, a land of drought and utter darkness. And then he says this, this is our line, the priests did not ask, where is the Lord? And then last week's temple sermon, a line from it, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called you, but you did not answer. They didn't listen. They, the priests didn't listen. Just, just think about that for a moment. Just say, come on, priests. You, you have one job to do, Really? You have one job to do in the temple, that the priest has this role of sort of mediating and, and, and sorting everything so between man and God so that they can make sure that they, they really um, refine people's minds so they focus on the main thing. Do you know that the priests should have been the ones that did their job to be listeners, attenders. Um, but in this case, um, they did it, they, they left their post as it were. Walter Brueggemann is an Old Testament scholar I've referred to a number of times, and he, he says this, 
Listening is the primal act of covenantal responsiveness. Listening is readiness to be addressed and commanded to have life ordered by Yahweh. Listening is to cede control rather than to retain control through religious manipulation and ritual acts. The alternative to listening is autonomy, life, if you will, on our own terms. And so Jeremiah was, was, was steeped as the prophet in, in this listening, almost an agonizing listening to God. It involves a particular attentiveness to fidelity for God's ways. And the listening involves a sort of a memorization of God's ways. The priests and the leaders, they suffered from a sort of spiritual amnesia. They forgot all the things that Yahweh had done for them. They got listed. But the prophet is somebody who remembers, who recalls the things of God and who attends. So whatever else we might say about the prophet, their ministry was one of attentiveness to God's word. They listen. And as Jeremiah listens, it's, a, it's like, as we talked about last week, it's an about obedient posture. Listening is to obey. There seems to be two parts, essentially, to his message. Now, the particulars change from context to context, but two concerns pervade through all his speech acts. And this is true for all the other prophets that you see in the Old Testament and, and in the New, in the in ministry of Jesus. There are two strands. The, the particulars change, but assen- the essential message um, you could break down into two parts. Part A, if you want, is about our return, a return to covenantal faithfulness. And this is a huge theme of Jeremiah as we start to think next week about the exile and the people being taken into exile. There's this theme of exile and homecoming, return. And it's a return to covenantal faithfulness, to home, a return home to God. And that was the verse in Jeremiah where we heard, stand at the crossroads and look. It was a statement that provoked reflection. Ask for the ancient path. Ask where the good way is. Inquire, inquire, and walk in it, and you'll find rest in your souls. And there's a sense here in the prophet's message that the new thing is a renewed thing. It's a return back to this sense of of faithfulness, of of a place of homecoming uh, with God. And the particulars, you will see ebb and flow in the sharpness of the message. But the overarching aspect of the message in part A is that. But the important sort of part B of the essential key message that we see in the prophetic ministry of Jeremiah was, could be summed up as act justly. The, and the, the biblical, biblical prophet is keen to work on both of those axes. Where, and and it's, it's very common, I think, to find people who are maybe, who attend to one, who may be strong in the return to covenant or faithfulness of worship of God, but then maybe not so much interested in the other. But the prophetic impulse here holds these two important strands together. So in effect, in my words, there's, there's kind of like two impulses or, or um, graces, if you like, of the prophetic um, instinct and, men, and message. In one hand, the, the words focus people on intimacy or fidelity with God. And on the other hand, their words provoke an alertness an alertness to the issues of 
of their day and, and, and issues that were happening uh, on the horizontal, their relationships and their place in the world. Intimacy and alertness. And of, of course, the mode of expression of Jeremiah's ministry, is, as we've been starting to see, is, is, so, is so diverse and colorful and, and actually brilliant. There are moments of well, prose, just a linear argument where he, he just lays it out to them in, in a sermonic form. There are other moments where he, there's drama, there's, there's so much poetry in Jeremiah, but at times it, 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 he has to dramatize his message and, and that doesn't go well for him either. He gets into uh, really dark places, but he, as he uses that to, to bring his message, there's public discourse there's protesting against you are letting this happen, this famine happen. You're doing this with the children and this, these sacrifices in these temples. There's a sense of protest to his expression of what God's put on his heart. It's not here a one-dimensional thing. It actually takes creative imagination, often from ordinary things. Give you an example, if you think back to chapter one, if you can remember, um, it, when God says this, this dialogue with, with Jeremiah, he says, is, what do you see? And he says, well, an almond tree. And then Jeremiah goes on to elaborate what God was saying. And he said, what do you see? So he says, I see a melting pot, it's tipping and it's coming from the north and you guys are in trouble. And, and there's a sense, that we just read it and it happens, but we think about what's actually going on there in the, in, in the moment. It's... It's a person before God, and, and, and maybe, maybe he was just sitting seeing these objects, and God started to speak to him through them. And you suddenly realize the, the, the creative process of this mode of this prophetic expression is already much broader than sometimes we realize. Some of us are more prophetic, I think, than we realize. We don't realize, actually, some of the things that burn in our heart and some of the things that we attend to very much sit within the prophetic tradition. Now, if this is all sounding a wee bit too, uh, I don't know, creative, neat, and easy, as we slide into the courtroom of Jeremiah at the city gates, we, we, we start to find out the true cost of prophetic imagination, prophetic ministry. Because the key reality is that the, the prophetic voice is, is often at odds with the royal order of the day, if you want, the, the dominant voice, the, the power structure even. I wonder if you've ever even experienced that yourself. You just find yourself on the wrong side of the authoritative voice in, a, in an organization, in a culture. And what that feels like to be pushing up against something, it's horrible. You feel very isolated. But very often, the key reality for the prophet is that they, they find themselves there, button up against the dominant status quo of the moment of the day. As soon as Jeremiah finishes speaking, the priests, the prophets, and all the people seized him and said, you must die. Of course, the reacted strongly against the comparison of Jerusalem and the, the once glorious place of Shiloh, which became a place of condemnation. And they rejected this, this, this could ever be a reality for Jerusalem, could ever be a reality for temple. And they reject his word as merely political. It's good for you to have that opinion, but that's not 
wanting to be heard here. And there's something about the reality for Jeremiah. It's going to require speaking truth to power, which is going to be his challenge. It's going to cost him, and it's going to hurt him at times. If you notice in, in verses 12 to 14 that Jeremiah speaks no words on his own behalf as he kind of makes a form of a defense. And he, he, he makes a distinction between his own destiny and the words God gave him. He speaks, therefore, out of a, a, personal, a place of personal submission to God with his own life. And so in his prophetic ministry, he, he kind of sidesteps that don't this make about me and my thing here. He's saying, look... If there's going to be a prophetic voice here, it's God's voice. He kind of pushes it to that and says, look, my, hand, my, my life my, is, is in the hands of God. And so the prophet is careful to make a distinction between what's their own agenda and what's God's agenda, and what's God's word in the situation. And Jehoiakim, the king, he's, he's kind of like the model for just disobedience. He's the king of disobedience. He's the, you know, he's the, the epitome of it in the tradition of Jeremiah. And from the outset of his reign, the word of Yahweh is just not welcome. And Hananiah is not one of the false prophets you read about in chapter 27. He's just the model of prophetic accommodation. He is the epitome of a prophetic voice that just parrots or speaks what people want to hear. The itching ears of a world, a culture, he will just say whatever the corridors of power want them to hear. That's Hananiah. And together with the priests and the civic leaders, they represent the status quo, the dominant voice with the, which the prophetic voice somehow must penetrate or disrupt. That's what Jeremiah does. That's what the prophetic does. It, 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 it disrupts, it penetrates. Prophecy will challenge, it, it will pierce, it will sometimes diagnose. It will have a diagnostic heart to say, here's what's going on here. It just won't be the fluff that serves the power structures of the day. But note as well the, the communal aspect of this scene. And we have the, the surprising intervention and, and probably um, welcome one from Jeremiah of the elders or a third voice of civic leaders who in some way intervene and say, oh, we've been here before. And they basically save Jeremiah's life in some way and saying, no, if a prophet's speaking, we should hear them. And there is a sense of, they, they reject the message, but they, they hear it. There's a sense of the community gather around and hear. And I think we misunderstand something really important if we imagine that the prophet is a lone religious authority standing against his community. When in actual fact, he stands, Jeremiah stands in the very center of a deep public debate and dispute. Well, there's a sense of a, a community gathered around this word or these words together. And so the prophetic voice is not consigned only to the back corridors of sort of secret one-to-one -one personal insights and encouragements. The, the prophet is as much an indispensable ingredient of the public life of a community and also the public life um, here in, in the civic life of the city. But a prophetic imagination penetrates the community's stubbornness and at times hardness of heart, so it's its own complacency. So when it comes, if that's just a, a summary, if you like, of Jeremiah's prophetic ministry, when it comes to bridging context for today, I think 
I, I think there's a tremendous need for a prophetic imagination today. Again, from quoting from Walter Brueggemann, an Old Testament scholar, he, he puts four points um, to us. The, the task of prophetic ministry is to evoke an alternative community that knows it's about different things in different ways. The practice of prophetic ministry is not some special thing done two days a week, rather it's done with and under all the acts of ministry. Three, prophetic ministry seeks to penetrate the numbness. Four, prophetic ministry seeks to penetrate despair. So this is about a voice that penetrates numbness, that penetrates hopelessness, that penetrates loss of direction. And on that scale, I think, boy, do we need that today? Do people need a voice that can do that today, that can penetrate the numbness or the despair. Of course, we probably realize, if we've been around church for any time, that since God has spoken through his son, Jesus, we're no longer anticipating prophets arising and penning, you know, Revelation part, you know, B or C, or or adding to the scriptures. The, The scriptures themselves are very clear about it in the you go to the book of Hebrews, which just says, look, the epitome on the, the climax of God's revelation is, is given through his son. It's his truest revelation of who God is. Nobody is going to be right in any um, more words of scripture. However, our text from 1 Corinthians assumes a very lively life around these words that gets fleshed out in community life with surprising relevancy and and potency and fresh articulation at times. So today, today I mean, as in now compared to the Old Testament, New Testament Christianity, today there are differences in scope for the prophetic ministry. And rightly, if anyone says, thus saith the Lord, you know, they, they will... They will get very gently, you know, get taken aside for a coffee and you know, show them the back door. <laughs> There's a sense of, we'll be nice and kind to people, but that's not what we find uh, really uh, in the New Testament. But we have to ground this. If, if Jeremiah and 1 Corinthians is to speak to today, I, I see many parallels to the prophetic ministry of Jesus in the prophets of the Old Testament, not least Jeremiah. In a quick checklist, you know, Jesus spent time with his father. He learned the scriptures. He was devoted to the father's will. And his famous sermon on the mount challenged the powers. It flipped them on their head. It spoke truth to power. And so we, if we see something in, in Jesus that reflects the tradition of the prophet, we should hold on to it. And like Jeremiah I think today we are called as his people to listen. We listen. This is a community that, that steeps themselves in this posture of listening. Of listening. I, don't, I don't think there's such a thing as a prophet or prophetic gift that doesn't flow from almost the same agony or agonizing with, with God's words. How, how, could, how can we improvise faithfully, which is why I like to think of prophecy at times, how can we improvise faithfully if we don't know the script, if we're not agonizing over and steeping in, in God's word revealed in the scriptures of the Son? And so 
we listen, it's less about our particular ability to be spectacular and, and, and more about our ability to attend to God and to attend to other people and to attend to our world. It's almost like that double listening. We listen to God, we listen to our world, we listen to the person in front of us and we attend to that and we speak from that place. And like Jeremiah, prophetic imagination retains today that dual message, both part A, I think, and part B. The, 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 the impulse for intimacy, fidelity to God, to return to God, to see people return to God, but also the alertness. Eyes open, awake, alert to social injustice, to act justly. And, that, and in a sense, the field of concern is both of those things of fidelity to God and the social justice. It's not an either or. And what an opportunity we have. We were talking in the car on the way in, just the, the boys, we were driving along the expressway and you see them preparing for COP26. And I know it's serious, but it's also exciting in one sense, particularly we're seeing all the different um, things being constructed. What an opportunity for, I guess, the church to be a prophetic witness and to hold on to both those aspects of the message of return and also alert to, to act justly in this moment. I think one of, this is my beef, so if it's not your beef, it doesn't have to be your beef. So this is my beef. One of my beefs with the problems with prophecy today in the church is that it, it gets reduced to the one-to-one -one personal sort of mystical words um, that people will share to each other when I think it's much broader than that and more inclusive than that. I, I also think it includes that. And you may disagree. And, and do you know, that's absolutely okay. I do not need you to sign up to my take on everything to be a part of this community. There'll be a range of views in this room. All are welcome on that. But my, my, my personal beef is it tends to be narrowed too, too narrowly when I, around just one-to-one -one personal words, when actually I think the prophetic tradition that we see in the Old Testament, that we see in the person of Jesus, is, is much broader. And, and, and that's why I say, I'll repeat again, some of you are more prophetic than, than you even realize because of what God puts on your heart. So there's one about a calling about intimacy and the other about alertness to the issues of our day. And I'm, I'm not sure we ever find, um, other than Jesus, the, the person who's perfectly balanced on both of those things, do you know? Maybe there's a sense in the church where we balance each other out on that. You know, there's people who just are very alert to certain things. There's people who are very just, you know, just always about you and God and brings it back to that. And, and we maybe balance each other out. But, but looking at the dangers of just, of just taking one of those and going at it, at the exclusion of the other, at least knowing the dangers, maybe helps us just to stay true to a real prophetic ministry that holds on to both the message to return to God, it's about God, it's about this relationship, but, but also to seek justice and walk in his ways. And like Jeremiah, the prophetic voice is often a minority voice, a gentle voice uh, that, that humbles the powerful in the community and speaks prophetically from that place of humility to the powers today. It's easy, to, I think, to rush to judgment and all those naughty people and caricature the priests and the, of, of their day for you know, listening, fingers in their ears and being, being terrible, terrible people. But essentially, the image, I, and I think, of what they're doing is, is kind of like they just 
they just didn't want to hear stuff. It's hands over the ears, and they just wanted things on their own terms. And when you boil it down to that, it, it's very recognizable, actually. You know, it, it, there's just something about human nature that it's, it's, we just sometimes want to put our hands over our ears, hear what we want to hear. I, I keep coming back to this. It feels more significant maybe than even it seemed at the time. We had a church meeting um, about our building project, which I'd love to tell you about. Come and ask me. I'll, I'll bend your ear for about a week about the trials and tribulations of the Light of Renewal project. But we had a church meeting uh, about it. I, I must have been maybe... I was going to say a year ago, but no, there's COVID. So three years ago, call it. And we were, we were discussing one of the practical um, things of the state. So right here, or somewhere around here anyway, there's going to be a, a, an accessible stage. It'll come up here, it'll come up, and Rob's probably slating me here. It goes up this way and goes right there, and, and it'll be a stage all on one level. Uh, and... One of the things, it, it, ways we're describing it is quite clunky and it can be quite a, 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 an a ugly thing that we try and construct. And, and pragmatism could easily have sneaked into that part of the conversation until somebody spoke up and said, actually, perhaps one of the most beautiful statements of a church is whenever we have a stage that is permanent and accessible for all, that actually that's a statement of beauty that way transcends any of the pragmatism where the conversation was falling. And I remember just thinking that point, that sounds right. That sounds like it was taking us closer to the heart of God than any worries about how a stupid thing was going to be constructed. It was a voice. It was a very gentle voice that was just, I think, drawing us back to the purposes of God. And I pray that that happens, and I pray that that happens soon. Um, So we make space for it, we attend to God together. And like Jeremiah and like 1 Corinthians, you've got the, the, the breadth of Corinthians, right? The different gifts, the different expressions that is to be there. There's a myriad of ways God's voice gets expressed among his people. And we all bring that, our story and our experiences into the room in order to grow. We can all attend more to God in so many moments of life in church and ministry. For me personally, I, prayer and prophecy, if, in, in my conception, always kind of flows almost together, you know? If somebody was to say, go, Stephen, just get up there, prophesy, I, I might struggle, I get stage fright. But if I was to begin to pray for somebody, often God just starts to stir my mind and... and, and you know, it, it, I feel like I, I get led into that. And I, I, if there's a prophetic thing at the minute, I was thinking about leaders. I was thinking about leaders of all spheres today um, and, and dis- discouragement and, and despair. Now, for me, discouragement and despair have a really particular relationship. Um, I kind of, in my mind, as I was praying about this morning, it was, it's kind of like the snakes and ladders game. I hate board games, by the way, and I absolutely detest them. I'm forced to play them once a year at Christmas at my um, in-law's house. But other than that, I, I absolutely detest them. But anyway, I was thinking about snakes and ladders and the relationship of despair and discouragement. And, and, and you know the whole, it, it feels, the, the, the relationship for me is, is, you know you can be climbing up, up, up and doing brilliant and think you're, you're invincible almost. And 
one little seed of discouragement suddenly feels like that snake that can just pull you very swiftly right to the bottom in despair more than you realize. And, and that's, that for me is kind of my relationship with discouragement. I can be flying high as a kite uh, and then a couple of words of discouragement and actually suddenly you can slide into this place called despair very, very quickly. And the reason I say that is praying is things about leaders of all spheres who've been leading for a year and a half now who are absolutely spent and knackered. And I was speaking to someone and it's just like the discouragement and the dis- close relationship to despair. I think about maybe what would God be saying into that? You see the relationship with prayer and starts to, what would God be saying in to encourage leaders in workplaces, in healthcare systems that are absolutely creaking at the seams because they've been go, go, go for months? What would a prophetic people be who start to lean into that and bring encouragement? And so for me, it often works like that. And the task of reception, I believe, is communal. It's for us to discern. I think that's where safety and accountability comes in the community. There's no lone ranger stuff. It's we discern together. And ultimately, I think the greatest acid test is really about whether or not it brings forth a loving voice that brings hope in Jesus' name. The greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, and love. For love to build up, sometimes it needs to cultivate the soil of our hearts by penetrating the numbness with truth. The truth can feel uncomfortable, can hurt. Remember, Jeremiah had pruning words as well as planting words, but both were God's invitation to rescue. Both were God's love. I think the most important premise, and this is why I'll finish. I might have started with this, but I thought I'd finish with this. I think the important premise of this whole thing here is caught up in the text is that this is about faith, not fate. I don't know if you noticed, but in the text, Jeremiah's opponents at one point actually misrepresent him. They say in verse 11, this man prophesied against this city. And Jeremiah did nothing of the sort. If you remember the if and then thing from last week, there was, a, there was a, an opportunity that if they responded, that, so the, the, this is prophesied against us. That's the language of faith. This is, you're all doomed and nothing's going to happen. No, the premise here is one of faith, that God works with his people, that God wants to move with us and to relate to us and connect with us, that our obedience actually really matters, that he is the living God who wants to have a people who know him and walk with him and have that dynamic encounter with him and relationship with him. These words from Jeremiah were not just faithful words against the city. They were words of rescue. They were words of love saying, look, I want to protect you from what is coming. And they were, I think the saddest reality in the Jeremiah story is that the people of God rejected the loving voice of a rescuing God because they wanted things to remain on their own terms. And I say that just because in finishing, how much we could miss out if we fail to embrace a culture that expects dynamic and transformative encounters with the living God. Ah, things will just be the way things will be. It's like, rubbish, it's a language of faith, not faith. He's calling us to seek him, to yearn for him, to put our faith in him. And when we put our faith in him, things change. 
He comes in transforming power. Numbness gets penetrated. Despair gets penetrated. But it doesn't just happen. It happens from a seeking heart and a seeking people who have faith in God's rescuing love, which is seen most clearly in Jesus. So I say, may prophetic imagination be released in all quarters. Not just for the specialists, but released in all quarters. And I say, may those particularly graced with a gift to attend to God and speak a word in season feel both commissioned and constrained by the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they too have fire in their bones like Jeremiah. And may we be people found seeking and anticipating the one true living God showing up in the church gathered and in the highways and byways around the city and around our world as we worship the one true living God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that in Jesus we know the full extent of your heart to love and to rescue. Thank you that in Jesus we are not left in any doubts about your intentions towards us, the extent that he would stoop to express his love for us. Forgive us, Father, when we hold our fingers in our ears because maybe something is not just we don't want to listen, but we just can't because it hurts too much. We pray, God, that your spirit would empower us to be a prophetic people who point people to Jesus and bring hope that penetrates numbness, that penetrates despair. And so we wait on you. Why don't we just in the silence just welcome whatever that means in where you come from, just welcome God's spirit afresh into your life as the God who's the living God who wants, who wants to come and soothe. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, here. Save us from our own sense of autonomy. and throw us in the deep waters of your love. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We welcome you, Jesus, as Lord. And we together say we need you, God. Thank you that there's nothing we can't name in your presence that can't be covered by your love.
Amen.